Hello, film fans. What's up? You are listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm Brandon Champion. And I'm Mike Nichols. And it is Sunday, April 18th, 2021. So, so good to be talking to you all again. Uh, And you, Mike, my friend. How the heck are you? Good, good, very good. Very happy to come back from a long March break while you guys enjoyed March Madness. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of things, so I have, we have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, so as longtime listeners of the show will know, uh, me and Evan tend to go MIA in the month of March due to our obsessive love of college basketball. Uh, I, I, I will say I do watch some things, but it's usually way later at night. You know, what can you do? When you got this love for sports and this love for film, uh, unfortunately, you have to be very good at balancing the two. And sometimes the sports are just going to outweigh the love of film. So uh, I apologize for that, film fans. Film is my first love, but I also have this mistress, uh, and it's called baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, <laughs> football. Did I miss anything? Uh, I don't think so. But we're excited to be here, Mike. We got a bunch of things to review here today. Evan Dean is not with us. Uh, did, did we ever get a straight answer as to why he's not here? I believe Evan is creating a wonderful journalism story that we're all going to be very proud of him for. Okay. And you can see that on the internet for sure. What'd you do this weekend? Um, I walked the dog a lot, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I spent a lot of time with Lucky and uh, hung out with my girlfriend and uh, watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So good. So yeah. good. We're going to have to discuss. You? I did watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to have to discuss that. I think after the series ends, we should just run through that. Um, I uh, played a lot of golf, four rounds in a row, actually. Four days, four rounds of golf. And the family came over today and had a little barbecue. Uh, my sister finally came back from Alaska. So we had like a little uh, gathering and, uh, you know, smoked some meats and uh, uh, had a couple cocktails and let the kids play in the backyard. And it was just a classic spring Michigan afternoon. And it was glorious. And now I'm talking to you. So not a whole lot we can complain about, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, cool. yeah. yeah, let's Great get chatter. into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, let's get into it. If you uh, can please like and rate and review the podcast, if you could, check out our Facebook page at Second Day Film Podcast. We've been posting lots of trailers and stuff up there. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter and listen to our episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Mike, I care a lot about you, buddy. I really, uh, I really, uh, I really care about you. You're a really good friend, uh, and uh, I got a lot of feelings for you. Nothing but love, buddy. Champ, I care a lot, too, and I care a lot about... I care a lot. A 2020 American black comedy film written and directed by Jay Blakeson. Jay Blakeson in this film uh, stars Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, Elsa Gonzalez, Diane Weist, uh, Chris Messina, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Uh, so solid, solid cast here. Uh, me and Mike both watched this movie. I think it's on Netflix. It just kind of came out of nowhere, uh, you know, as it tends to do on Netflix. It's where every day something is popping up new on there. It's crazy how they push out content. Uh, but this is a Netflix movie. Uh, Mike and I both saw it. Uh, we've kind of chatted about it. Uh, I think Evan saw this too. It's too bad he's not here to give us his thoughts. But uh, Mike, what are some of your initial uh, musings on I Care A Lot? So this movie is all about uh, Marla Grayson, who is a Massachusetts scammer who basically makes her living uh, just conniving her way through the legal guardian over seniors system. Uh, And then one day she accidentally, without realizing it, uh, takes control of a senior who has connections to some very scary and shady people who do not want Marla Grayson coming in and taking over uh, their property. Um, uh, this film stars Rosamund Pike as Marla and Peter Dinklage as the uh, mafia mem- leader who comes after her. Um, I thought this film was a very dark, very like very sharply written satire about how essentially screwed up the healthcare system of our country is specifically when it comes to elder guardians, like people whose job is to take financial and medical protection over seniors who maybe can't like have the mental faculties to do it themselves anymore. Um, This movie does a really good job of just showing how vulnerable those seniors really are, how many loopholes the system has where 
if a guardian wants to, they could just totally take over this person's life and all their property. And it's really not set up to protect seniors. It's set up for the system to make money off of them. And uh, it's a very, very sharp satirical look. I, I have a hard time understanding why a lot of people kind of consider this movie like a comedy. Like I don't, I didn't see this movie as, I know it's called a black comedy, but I didn't see it as much as a comedy as just really sharp satire where it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you don't have to necessarily be laughing at it. You just yeah. have to be like realizing that this is all a big scheme. And that is kind of one of the complaints a lot of people had about this movie is that there's no one to root for. Yeah. You're either rooting for, you know, this horrible like schemer who's literally ripping off like poor vulnerable old people and taking everything they have and putting them inside a, a horrible, you know, senior home situation where they're just being drugged to keep them quiet. Or you have Peter Dinklage who is trying to break the person out of this system, but he's a ruthless like murdering, you know, crime Lord and stuff. And so at the end of the movie, there's no one really to root for. Yeah, like that's just, what's kind of sad about it. And then the way it ends with just kind of a a big screw you to both of them. And they're just, it just kind of ends with a very dark uh, death, shall we say. And it's like, there you go. Um, it's very bleak, but I think in some ways that's what they're trying to do. They're showing you, look, this is what the system is. This is how ugly it is. And um, it's got to change or people are going to start getting hurt because people are done with putting up with this kind of BS. Um, it's just nasty hard. people doing nasty. It's, it's just nasty people doing nasty things the entire time. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's not, it's, these people are like, they're not even, I don't even think Jay Blakeson or anyone who's writing in this movie really intended for any characters to even be really be like real characters or real fleshed out people. They're just like these people who are like so evil that like, like, Rosamund Pike's character, like literally viewing like elderly people basically as assets or pawns in this game that she wants to play. They give her like really no redeeming qualities. Uh, yeah. And the same thing with Peter Dinklage, like nobody in this, even the, the, uh, the old lady, Diane Weist is nasty. Like she's mm. just mean and, and everyone's mean in this. And I think that it, that's just sort of supposed to be part of the commentary where they're just like yeah these people who are just all trash and they don't have any redeeming qualities but it, like you said yeah it does make it hard to really root for anyone so you have sort of like these i know it's supposed to be a satire but you have sort of these weird like mixed feelings watching it because you're like okay when these bad things are starting to happen to these people i'm actually like enjoying it <laughs> like mm -hmm. and it's like like when the her girlfriend you know gets beat up it's almost like yeah it's terrible and awful to watch but it's like this is an awful person it's just bad people doing bad things to each other and i, I guess i'm just like watching it it was really entertaining to watch because it was almost just like wow like i'm glad i'm not as miserable as all these people but uh I don't think I really laughed out loud too many times to your point. No, I, I never laughed out loud because I don't think of it as the kind of satire where it's supposed to be funny. I think of it as a kind of satire where it's using very extreme um, situations and characters to point out injustice and flaws within a social system. So to that end, I think it succeeds very well. Will you be entertained? I think uh, so. I, yeah, I was entertained. It's definitely, it's definitely a learning, a time of entertainment where you're being educated about how bad the system is. Like, it's pretty ruthless in how it takes down the healthcare system. And that's why I do think that Marla in particular is kind of so, um, like, almost robotic in her, like, approach. Like, because mm -hmm. I think she does kind of in some ways represent the system. Yeah. It's, it's just, I'm just here for me. I'm here to, my own preservation, my own standard. Like, she is kind of that well, we're the company line that only cares about profit, which is she's kind so, of what she's so caught in the system. She doesn't even realize she's in the system anymore or doesn't think, care that she's in the system anymore. I think she, I think she is supposed to be the true representation of the system. Yeah, that makes sense because yeah. she's the one who's moving the plot along constantly right. and, and doing all sorts of different things. They give her like these little character quirks like that. She smokes that vape pipe yep. just to mm -hmm. like make her even more like despicable. <laughs> like you're yeah, a terrible props lady. To, props to Rosemond Pike for, you know, not just another Golden Globe award for her performance, but just she is just carving out a great niche for herself as being able to create 
really ruthless, terrifying villains who at the same time can come across as so like, like, I don't know, not normal. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Oh, I'm just a good person doing this. Like I have a huge heart and that's like, she can do the most ruthless things and she can say it in such like a professionally nice way that you just kind of are almost terrified of her. It's, it's like, the classic snake in the grass, actress. you know, she's just, a great just, actress. just waiting to, to pounce and it, like I'm outwardly doing everything that fits within the system and doing yeah. it like outwardly, like she's not doing anything wrong when she's really conning yeah. everyone and, and she's using the very system to her advantage and the loopholes in it. It's just, it's really despicable behavior. And yeah, I think you're right. I think the main point of this film is just to sort of give us a view into like this world and that, yeah, this stuff goes on. Like I was thinking about Better Call Saul briefly because, mm-hmm. uh, because Jimmy, you know, works for the elderly and he's trying to help them out. And I'm like, this is like the enemy of that person. And even though yeah. Jimmy is sort of using the system uh, with the elderly in a way of profit, but his is more like he seems like he cares, whereas this lady is just ruthless and terrible. Yeah, she's a really scary person, actually. I mean, even look at like, even like, you know, superhero villains or something. Yeah, maybe they'll be sweet at first, but then there's always the moment where they break and this real like ugliness comes out. She, her ugliness never really comes out too strong. It always mm. just kind of stays in this well, I'm just doing what I have to do. Like, this is for me. I'm not breaking any law. It's like, ugh, that's what's scary is how much she just stays as what law have I ever broken? Mm -hmm. And I... And I'll watch Peter Dinklage in anything too. Like yeah. I, he's, he, I mean, he doesn't have a ton to do other than just being a pissed off mob boss the whole time. But uh, I'll watch him in anything, man. That guy just, he's so good. Um, we so love what, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. What grade would you give this? I give it a A minus. I give it a seven out of 10 just because like, I, I think it's mildly successful in what it's trying to do uh, in terms of, you know, pointing this out and, and stuff like that. I don't know if it's fully successful as a, as a dark comedy. It's definitely successful as a satire and some good performances in there. I just felt like because I couldn't really relate to any of the characters because I hated them all so much. I, I just mm-hmm. kind of didn't love the movie because I hated everyone in the movie, so I couldn't love the movie. <laughs> you know, I kind of personally think that was the point. And to <laughs> yeah. me, it's like, hey, if that's what you're going for, you succeeded. Yeah. Um, maybe actually, maybe I'll give it a B plus because it did. It it didn't make me laugh. And if it's going to be sad, it should have had a little bit more humor in it. But yeah, A minus or B plus. It's yeah. If you want a good look at like how the healthcare system is just really dysfunctional, go watch this movie. All right, let's move along uh, to something that is a new new film that's also an old film that, uh, well, Mike watched it. He spent four hours of his life watching it, and it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is the re-release, the Snyder cut uh, of the uh, Justice League film, 2017, I think it came out. Uh, plot summary, determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns forces with Diana Prince with plans to recruit a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. This is directed by Zack Snyder. It stars Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Eisen, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Connie Nielsen, J.K. Simmons, Syrian Hands, Ryan Jang. Holy crap, Mike. There's a lot of people in this movie. Yeah. Uh, this thing is four hours long. I didn't get along to wa- around to watching it. I did see the original Justice League. <laughs> so hopefully this is a little bit better. Uh, Mike, please tell me it's better. It's better. Okay. I have actually never seen the 2017 Justice League film. Well, I explained something. I saw the first man of steel film. And I was like, okay, like I thought that was pretty good. Was it perfect? No, but I, I, I liked like the new kind of direction for Superman. I thought it was pretty epic and I was pretty overall happy with that film. Uh, then Batman versus Superman came out and I was like, Oh, this movie's a, a hot mess. All like, wrong. Sorry. I know there's All a lot of Zack Snyder fans out there, but I don't really understand how people can like defend that movie. Like it's, it's objectively speaking a poorly written and like it, the Martha line is like kind of a pop culture joke. Like 
So after that, I, I just really wasn't that interested in the like DC, the new DC like films. I did see Wonder Woman just because it got such good reviews, and I really did like that. Then Suicide Squad was like, you know, panned as one of the worst movies, and I was like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really Bad. care anymore. <laughs> um, so I never saw Justice League. I I only saw Aquaman because I think I went with someone, and no, it was like, I made you see it. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't crazy about it, but I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Momo was Momo was good in it. Um, but I just like I've lost interest for the DC films. So when this movie kind of came out, I was like, I never even saw the first one. Like, but just the fact that they're doing this, that they're gonna release the Snyder Cut, like this to me is just a very interesting moment in film history because I don't think we've ever seen a movie that has this huge, like, major release, gets not really, really any, any big fan service to it. Like, it's like, eh, it was okay, but not great. And everyone just moves on. And then years later, they're like, no, now we're going to let the director make his own version of this movie using all the stuff that they never used. Like, it's just such a weird like moment that we came back to a movie redid a movie and said here you go and now we're going to release it through streaming and it's gonna be four hours long and it was just really very interesting to see how this could change one how films get made but two how films get released like i think this should be a moment that people whether you like Zack snyder or like this movie or care about comic book movies at all this is a very interesting like experiment in terms of here's how a movie was released here's what one director did with it based on picking apart the pieces from another director and then we're going to actually spend all this money to do all the special effects and bring everyone back to like do like cool quick shots to actually complete the director's original version like that's i i've never heard of that happening in hollywood no. history before it's crazy that this movie exists no i i agree 100 percent. i mean it's it's pretty wild you know basically just through fan support and the internet and uh i mean we, we've been talking about this more and more i feel like about how uh like the power of social media and the ways yeah. that it can sway things and the way that it's shaping our society and you know before i feel like just a bunch of chatter would happen and it would just kind of go away but now social media has become such a force that it can quite literally get enough support where a film will be made and be successful so yeah. I guess it's going to be hard for me to tell you to, uh, you know, I did see the original Justice League in theaters. I thought it was okay. I, it looks like I gave it a six out of 10. So well, I think I, I remember we reviewed it on the pod and I should have listened to my original review. Um, but I sure I had all this, the same criticisms that everyone else did, you know, choppy plot, not using the characters well enough, unbalanced screen time, uh, you know, stuff like that, bad villain, whatever. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, are you able to compare the two at all? Or what, what does this movie yeah, do specifically bit. well? A little bit. Here's what I did. There were definitely moments where I was watching Snyder Cut and I'd be like, wow, that was a really good scene. I'm going to pause it and then YouTube the 2017 version <coughs> excuse me, of that scene just to like compare. And it was like, it was, it was not as fulfilling at all. Uh, so then I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And then I would just keep watching. Um, after I watched it too, I did watch like a ton of like recap and like film essays about it. And in that, like they, de I definitely saw people walk us back and forth different scenes. And then I started YouTubing certain like Justice League 2017 scenes so I could just like start to real. Like I didn't want to sit through the whole movie, but I was like, I just I kind of want to see that scene, or like yeah, I kind of want to know what like how, how they redid that or what was changed there. And some of the film essays that I watched did that as well. Where they, so I got to watch it through that, and yeah, I gotta say, like Josh Whedon, uh, he's getting dragged right now pretty hard, and uh, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been hard to take in the, just like the the take the pieces of Zack Snyder's movie, and your notes are chop all this down into like just two hours, and make it PG-13, and make right. it funnier, <laughs> and uh, make everything more colorful. Basically, just do what you do with the Avengers, and change these plot points. Like, to do that for Joss Whedon would have genuinely... That, that would be a tricky challenge. Like, you would have had to make a movie that would not be as satisfying as what Zack Snyder did. However, Joss Whedon still really dropped that ball. Like, he just did a pretty, pretty poor job. And, you know, based on the stories that are coming out around the set, based on how, like, you know, some of the actors got treated, it sounds like it was a really rough 
experience uh, having just were you bored through four hours though because yeah we can be like oh filmmakers you have these directors let's give them the power to do you know this vision but say this is getting real for streaming i think this can work but theatrically it's going to be hard to release something that's four hours long you know like this is why we have editors though like it's cool that this movie was made but I guess my question is, does the longer runtime really make it that much better? Because you have more time to flush out characters, theoretically. Yeah. Well, the, the answer is mostly yes. Like, so for me watching it, it was four hours long. But I have to say, like, so are the Lord of the Rings extended editions. And I love those. Yeah, it still feels kind of long. You're watching it like, man, like, this is so long. And yet you're never not having a good time watching it. I would say the same thing happened to me with uh, the Snyder Cut, where I was like, man, this is long, but yet it did flow well. And it was really good in terms of adding new character development and in terms of better action sequences and just an overall, you know, incredible story. Like I would say this is actually a really, really, really good superhero movie. And the, the kind of the, the, the basic three things I would say about it is one, all the characters are developed way better. Um, Wonder Woman is introduced as a much more badass real, uh, real character. Arthur has a lot more like just presence and personality in this. Barry, the Flash, is so much like his intro is one of the coolest superhero sequences I've ever seen and just really good storytelling. And he was a character um, from the original that I felt like was way underutilized using oh, the yeah, Flash. Like, I'm like, you're going to introduce the Flash and then do nothing with him. So in the, in the final battle of like the original one, Barry just kind of does nothing but just run around and save a couple people. None of that's in the Snyder Cut. In the Snyder Cut, Barry literally saves everything and everyone with one of the most beautiful like superhero sequences I've ever seen. Like it was just mes- Like my jaw was dropped because it was so mesmerizing watching Barry run so fast he changed time. It was like, whoa. Like it was just beautiful. Um, Superman's story is still kind of the same. Thankfully, the weird CGI mustache is gone. But I actually still feel that even in the Snyder Cut, Superman is really not that interesting. Like, the, the whole way that he comes back, it flows a little better, but I still think that fight scene with him in the Justice League is probably the most unnecessary and forced moment in both films. Um, and Batman definitely has a much better uh, story, better characterization. Um, uh, like all the character development is better. So that was the first thing I'd say. Number two, there is actually one thing I do need to talk about and that's Cyborg. Uh, Cyborg's personality in this is way better than in the, the one I saw in the 2017 version. Uh, it's powerful. They have this incredible narrative scene that's about um, poverty where Cyborg is like using his money to help uh, a waitress. And there was a really cute, uh, cute moment where she tweeted the way the actress was like, Hey, I like, I think I'm in the movie. Am I? And everyone like loved her status. And like, that was really kind of sweet. Um, Cause she was like an interesting, like she had a little, a beautiful, sweet little superhero being helping someone who was poor moment. And like Joss Whedon cut out pretty much everything about Cyborg story. And he cut out all these incredible, like, moments of with his parents with his like powers with like even just the way he analyzes things and it's so like sad to see how his characters got butchered and everyone else who got cut like was honestly someone like of color or a minority or something and that was noticeable that everything joss whedon cut was not white people did so, um Josh, I, so he left the he left the project um because of his his daughter was sick right or she died isn't that why he he there was something about that i was reading that so, uh, and she died and i know the film is dedicated to her so yeah we um, so yeah we didn't we didn't cut out like all those people uh but they were all in snyder's version what happened was snyder was making justice league uh, I think they were almost finished. And then, um, unfortunately, his adopted daughter, I believe, uh, committed Autumn. suicide. Oh, that's yeah, what it was. Yep. Suicide, which is really yeah. sad and unfortunate. So he stepped away from the project. There may have also been some, you know. Seems like he had some beef with them anyways uh, about, you yeah, know, these, it may about have just these been creative like a, decisions. Yeah, it may have just been the breaking moment. I'm not sure. Like, you know. No, Hollywood I drama. I don't know if we'll ever really know. Yeah. That, that's kind of what the narrative seems to be. So he stepped away to be with his family. They brought Whedon in then to finish up and like, then kind of do all the reshoots because they wanted it to be like, oh, make it more like Avengers. So Whedon has a not fun job to do. He comes in, does a terrible job with that job as is. 
And then we get a crappy Justice League movie that apparently even like Christopher Nolan told Snyder, don't watch it. Like it'll just hurt. It'll hurt too much. <laughs> so what is he now? Zack Snyder's back. Um, <laughs> the third thing I'll say is like this movie really is all about Zack Snyder. Like this is his vision. And this is in some ways like a redemption for his vision that he had. Uh, Zack Snyder's kind of like a, a weird hit and miss guy with me. Like, I've never been a huge fan of Zack Snyder's movies. I think there's some good things in all of them, but none of them are, like, my favorite. And there's always, like, a loud enough flaw in it that makes me kind of eh, not really identify with the movie as much as I think he thinks, like, people like me are supposed to identify with it. But uh, I've always, like, really respected him visually as a, as a director. Apparently, behind the scenes, he is a, a nice guy to work with. He's a decent human being and treats, you know, his staff and his teams well. But, uh, yeah, he's got this weird, like, cult of fans who both really love him but also really hate him. <laughs> I've always been like a, eh, he's kind of hit and miss. Like, some, some things he does really well. We were, we were talking about it. He has a very distinct visual style. And for those he that does. don't know, like, 300, Watchmen, Sucker yeah. Punch. Uh, yeah. I mean, these are all examples of the movies he's done. They have a very, like, super overexposed, uh, like, over the top, like, like almost like you're watching – uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so weird, but it doesn't look like real life. It's it's very obvious that you're watching like a graphic novel almost come to life on yeah. the screen. And uh, I, I think it's it's hit or miss, but I think it, with the right subject matter, it works really well. And Justice League is something where it kind of does work because these are almost like godlike, you know, heroic mm -hmm. figures. So it does work well for this. I have to say, like, I have a lot of respect for what he went through to get this movie made. That That man went through a lot of personal pain. That man went through a lot of corporate BS and that guy went through just like a lot of like historic uh, relevancy to try to even make this happen because none, this had never happened before. He literally did something that had never been happened before in film history. And I have a lot of respect for that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I don't see some Snyder flaws in this movie. For example, the man needs to not make every single action scene have like five minutes of slow motion. Slow-mo. Uh, some of the slow motion is long. <laughs> it's like, okay, like you got the cool moment. Why are we still holding? Yeah, that's another Snyder okay. trait. <laughs> and it's like, why are we still holding? Yeah. Oh, oh my God, it's still holding? Like, um, So what you're yeah, saying like, is this movie could have been three hours and 35 minutes if it wasn't for all the slow-mo. <laughs> it's not that there shouldn't have been any slow-mo, but yeah, there was definitely about... Thir like 13 to 30 minutes of slow-mo that was unnecessary and there is definitely overkill moments like the the wonder woman bank scene is way better in the snyder cup version but then it ends with like this guy who she's already basically she's beaten all these people and then she just like does her arm arm brand like power push and just like blows up the whole edge of the building which is like were you trying to stop the bomb from doing that why <laughs> why'd you just do it when it was just one guy and all you had to do was just like beat him up it was just one guy with a gun like it's just he does these big epic overkill moments sometimes and uh yeah like there, there's other little details that you know i don't need it's to great would on. you give it yeah um i would give this one an a minus two uh it's it's definitely it does not need to be too long way too much slow-mo way too much like overkill sometimes but like i said number one the character development is beautiful number two cyborg has one of the best character development stories of any like superhero movie ever and the way Snyder focused on him and told his other little stories inside of it was great. And three, I respect what he did historically. This is all, this movie is like really all just a big, like good job, Zack Snyder. And I say good job, Zack Snyder. He made a good justice league movie. Awesome. And the world deserves a good justice league movie too, because these are awesome characters that, uh, you know, have been a part of, of pop culture for, for decades. So uh, uh, it's glad that we could, I'm glad that we could get a Justice League movie that at least does service to uh, these great characters. So that's Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's, it's on HBO Go. Can What's I ask you like? a question about it real quick? Sure. Do you, think that, do you think that this will bring him back, that they'll start, like, they'll continue the Justice League universe that Snyder had wanted now? Do you think they'll, they'll do that? <sighs> I think there could be maybe some more momentum for that. Um, I don't know, man. They, they just got to stop trying to be the MCU because they're not yeah. the MCU. They got to do their own thing. They got to, they just got to do their own thing. And I'm not sure they've really fully figured out the best way to bring this universe together, but they got to stop trying to be the MCU. So I, I guess agree. that's all I'll say about that. I um, totally 
But uh, moving on to a slightly smaller film, but also one that's being pretty well received. It's, it's something that I watched and something I was looking forward to uh, because it stars the amazing Francis McDormand, who has become one of my favorites in recent years after movies like uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, and now this movie as well. I mean, she's been a great actress for a long time, obviously, and things like Fargo. Um, but, you know, she's really taken her performances to the next level, and it's called Nomadland. And it's directed by a young director named Chloe Zhao. Uh, after losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Uh, this movie pretty much stars Frances McDormand and a lot of actors and actresses that you probably aren't going to recognize. In fact, there's actual real nomads, like that people who really live as nomads who appear in this movie. Um, so it's because of that and because of the cinematography and because of Francis McDormand's performance, this movie is almost like, um, it's almost like a, a transformative experience because you're getting insight into this whole new uh, subculture, this nomad culture that exists in America right now, mm -hmm. every day. And uh, when you're watching it, you feel like this should be taking place decades ago or like in some distant yeah. past. But in reality, it's 2011 in the film. And you're really viewing this whole new society and country. But it's just really the back roads of America. And I think that's honestly what this film does better than anything is giving us insight into this whole new subset of America and really taking us into what these people are about. So, um, Mike, do you have any thoughts on this? I love Frances. Uh, you know, I think she's an amazing actress. And there is a book this is based on, the 2017 uh, book by, by an American journalist, Jessica Bruder, um, which does kind of follow this phenomenon of, you know, seniors or, or older Americans um, just kind of having transient, you know, living and just moving around maybe in terms of seasonal work. Uh, but yeah, this is a very... Uh, this is a very uh, interesting aspect of American culture that really hasn't had the spotlight shown on it. So it's good that they are doing a movie about this. Um, yeah. And the movie is like, it's so, it just, like I said, off the top, it sort of transports you. Um, Chloe Zhao uses this sort of very gray muted color palette throughout the whole film. And it almost, it makes the American West feel like a never ending, like abyss a never-ending, like, not wasteland, but just land that you could just travel and travel and travel until the end of eternity and never see the same mountain twice or never see the same hill twice. Yeah. And it's, it's both beautiful and scary at the same time when you're traveling with these people who are kind of, like, just getting by and traveling around and sleeping wherever they can and meeting random people and just finding a way finding odd jobs here or there. So when they're traveling all over the West, it's almost like, well, where are they going to go next? She's got to get somewhere warmer. Like what's going on here? Her van's breaking down. Oh my God, she's going to freeze. Like you're just like kind of freaking out the whole time. But at the same time, it's not really full terror because uh, her performance, Frances McDormand's character gives off this vibe. Like I got this, I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to live day by day. I'm going to do this. And you, you see like these characters come in in and out of the film throughout the journey. Some of them played by real life nomads and they're trying to help her. It'll get random people that are trying to help her or people she knows. And she'll just, she's just so proud that she will turn down any help because she has this way of thinking that she's going to be able to figure it out. So there's a lot of themes about <clears throat> finding your place. Uh, you know, a, a lot of themes about life and, and sort of where it's going to take you and getting the most out of life and, you know, just appreciating the little things and the little interactions that you meet and the, the random people that you talk to and how you can really, despite how someone may appear, almost every person can have some sort of way to impact your life along the, the journey. And that's sort of what this movie is based around that idea. And I just thought it was awesome. How is the movie done in terms of its story? Is it almost told more episodically or is there like a main goal or, or plot to it? Or is it just like kind of daily random survival? Um, what, I guess, what's the key like journey? So I'm glad you asked that because I actually have that in my notes. Is, so Chloe Zhao, the first time I had heard of her is a movie um, that I watched a couple years ago that was well-received. It was called The Rider. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's sort of about a, a, a 
horse rider, a guy who rides bucking Broncos, and he suffers an injury, and he can no longer do that, and he's trying to make his way in life. Uh, uh, it, I heard really <clears throat> good things about that movie. Yeah, it was fantastic. And the reason I bring that up is because this movie sort of operates in that same way that that one did, where it's a story that just kind of unfolds before our eyes. It doesn't really have a beginning and an end. Um, It's just kind of, we're just living with this person for a random portion of their life. So it's not like to answer your question, it is sort of episodic in the people that she meets and the random thing that's things that she's doing. Um, But there's not really like a main plot. It's basically, we're just following this person around seeing how they live. Uh, Like I said, there's a lot of symbolism about, you know, just taking life a day at a time. And there's, uh, there's uh, an interesting in the film where the movie starts and ends at the same place. So, but she, but her herself as a person is in a very different place, even though she's returning to the same place that she was just at. So there's a lot of talk about coming full circle and all this stuff. So there's just a lot of good stuff going on with, having new outlooks on life and sort of getting insight into how these people view life. And it's not so much for the, um, you know, the the actual things that many of us covet, but they sort of more just cherish like interactions with humans or seeing the sunrise over a different mountain the next day. So it's just really good insight into this way of life. And for that reason, I gave it an eight out of 10. It's in my top 10 films of the year. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And it's been nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress for Francis McDormand. It's on Hulu now. I would really, really suggest anyone check it out, uh, especially before the Oscars. So Awesome. Um, well, let's move on to, uh, unless you had anything else there, Mike, it seems like we're good to go. Um, yeah. but, uh, where, where can we, is Nomadland, like, where, is it on Netflix or Hulu? Where can it be watched? <laughs> I literally just said two seconds ago it's on Hulu. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine i I was pulling up the notes for the next it's fine i don't listen to you either uh no (laughs) i'm kidding all right we're gonna edit this question out (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't really it's fine dude (laughs) (laughs) it's all good um i don't think this is gonna be the big break episode i just have a feeling (laughs) (laughs) wow i'll never listen to these guys again yeah uh zach snyder listened to this episode and he just turned it off all right um, so the last film we want to review is uh, a clashing of icons, Mike. A, a a smashing of legends. It's Godzilla versus Kong. The epic next chapter in the cinematic monster verse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another: the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong. With humanity caught in the balance, this film is directed by Adam Wingard. It stars Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Shauna Gurry, oh, Elza Gonzalez again, look at that, Julian Dennison, Lance Reddick, Kyle Chandler, Damian Bashir. Uh, that's about it. Mike, I love monsters. I love big lizards. I love big monkeys. Big fan of both. Big, big fan. Uh, big monkey, big screen. But uh, how, uh, what, did, what did you think? Um... I think Did you, that you just want to get, you movie, just want to say boom. <laughs> I think the title of this movie is Godzilla vs Kong and that's what this movie is. It delivers on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Mike. You know what? Listen. Let me just let me just cuz I know that I'm going to like this movie more than you. I just know yeah. it. Yeah. And you, you have and, a good hunch. <laughs> and uh so let me first, let me just say what, what I think didn't really work about this movie. Maybe you'll agree with that. And then I'll defend it. Okay. Sure. <clears throat> so, so with all these movies, this monster verse, it's Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters. And now this one, I've seen all of them. Yes. Um, so actually, weirdly enough, so have I. Yeah. And they all are supposed to take place in the same universe. Mm-hmm. But the continuity yes, it's between a shared, the, it's a shared universe, right? Just it like is. What the MCU did it is, except <laughs> what they might as well have not been a shared universe because, like, hardly any of the characters who we met in the original Godzilla or the original Kong, they're not here. And even a lot of the characters that we just met in Godzilla King of the Monsters aren't here, with the exception of Kyle Chandler, who does exactly nothing the entire movie, and Millie Bobby Brown, who is the best agent working for the CIA because this girl gets into secret 
secret underground underground layers better than anyone in the government. She's done it in two movies in a row. Um, so like, there's just no continuity from the other films other than the big monsters. And I just think like, if you're going to go with the monster verse idea, why not use that as more of an advantage? I just didn't, I thought that was underutilized. It's a very predictable movie. Yes. It's called Godzilla vs Kong. Um, come on, spoiler alert, but are we really that surprised that they were going to team up to fight some other threat? Like we kind of knew that was going to happen because nobody wants Godzilla or Kong to be the real bad guy. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're going to make this weird antagonist so that the monkey and the lizard can team up in the end. Like we saw that coming from a mile away. Let's be real. He's actually a primate, but whatever. What did I call Uh, him? Monkey. Oh, please. Come on. He's a monkey. I mean, let's let's just get the science right because obviously this movie cares about science a lot. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, yeah, you mean the hollow Earth part of science gosh. that's been disproven through every century in out on the world? But so those are the things that kind of annoy me. The human characters are overall are very poorly written. They don't have a whole lot to do with anything. Did you agree? Are those are some of your criticisms. What 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 did you dislike as well? What is what is your? Because I want to defend it after that. I want to hear what you what really rubbed you wrong way. Is it just because it's a big stupid monster movie? Here's the thing, right? We're just people. <laughs> We're all just people. Uh, just because there's art in the world that I don't like doesn't mean the art isn't enjoyable to other people, right? And it's well, yeah. It's we don't not, have to agree you know, on everything. I don't, I don't have to like everything that another person likes. Like, you know, it's, as I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't as into Robin Hood as I am. And that's fine. I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> that's a safe bet. Uh, I am not personally interested in, like, Godzilla monster stuff. It is just not a thing that I, as a person, care about. So what I have to do when I come into this movie is to, like, put aside my personal lack of interest in what is happening and just try to judge it or evaluate it as a movie. Like, okay, does this character have, you know, choices that make sense? Is this consistent with the other movie? Like, you know, I just have to kind of try to evaluate it as a film versus as content I don't personally have any personal interest in. And uh, so, yeah, like, it's just these two, like, big monsters that everyone likes fighting and if that's all you want, great. This is the movie for you. But yeah, like you said, the human characters have absolutely no logical, consistent basis with anything they do. It's all just very ridiculous. The monsters themselves actually have very like forced reasons to fight. And then even the fights end a little too conveniently. Like the first fight ends with oh, let's just turn off the boats. Maybe Godzilla won't know we're here. And he's literally like looking at them. Like he is like- We have to make an excuse for why the Godzilla's- <laughs> God, like, Godzilla's like eyeing King Kong. King Kong is growling at him and Godzilla just swims away. And it's like- Well, Mike, we have well, to have another hour and a half what, of the movie. So that he had to swim away. does that make at all? The second fight, Godzilla and Kong are fighting. Kong has his big ax- you know, his special nuclear-powered axe. He literally hits Godzilla in the face with a fully charged nuclear axe, (laughs) and it does nothing to Godzilla. Godzilla just kind of falls over like, ow. There's no, his jaw's not broken. They're titans, Mike. They're titans. You know, he's not hurt from the blast. He hit him in the face with a nuclear-powered axe, and it did nothing to the plot or characters Hold on. at all. Hold on, counterpoint. Godzilla just falls over. And then the next Godzilla. Day, Godzilla gets up and fights again. Counterpoint, Godzilla already has nuclear fire in his throat. It doesn't hurt him that much. They're huge titans that just are have amazing body and exoskeleton. Let's not talk. Let's not get into the weeds. But of he that. hit him in the I face. Think, with I think a the nuclear fight, powered axe. I think the fight choreography is cool. I think it deserves some credit for because you've got these two huge CGI monsters. And for me, I didn't think the fight itself got lost in the CGI. I think the moves no, that no, I think some moves that Godzilla and King Kong are doing like make sense. They both have like their own distinct fighting style. They use different things to their advantage. You know, if they were Pokemon in a battle, they'd be using like their A and B moves against each other because they're fighting another boss. 
And it was entertaining to see them destroy the shit out of Hong Kong and just throw each other around and just Yeah, but is everyone who, you know, all these like sci-fi fantasy like film lovers, everyone who was like, "Oh my gosh, in Man of Steel there was too much destruction at the end. Superman and Zod like destroyed too much of a child. Are they going to complain?" Yeah, probably, but those like, are human characters. Uh, literally destroy the entire city. It's like it's Look like there's it, just listen, not consistency I, with how well, people I think feel the, about I, stuff. I think, so. No, no, the human characters suck in the movie. But I just think like, what do I care about in this movie? I care about Godzilla. I care about King Kong. I think their motivations make sense. They have this ancient rivalry from all these years ago and you know godzilla is sensing this other alpha that the idiot humans are making are building i think ultimately it was while it was predictable it probably was smart to make the human characters the bad guys so that we could all just root for king kong and godzilla to you know beat this man-made colossus monster this this fake alpha which which looked really i'm sorry mecha godzilla looked weird there was just something super fake and like unthreat it looked like a giant weird like, very. It, it just looked like a bad Power Rangers villain. Like I, I like I was not at all threatened. Yeah, it did. I did think about like this is something that would fight the the Megazord or whatever down at the stretch, and it would be like this weird. So I, this this movie I gave a six out of ten. Uh, the, the original Godzilla I gave a seven. The Kong Skull Island I gave a seven, and King of the Monsters I gave a five. So this one's kind of fallen somewhere in the middle of uh, of the for the monster verse for me. Can I, can I just also say, like, in the first movie, there was this, like, very serious, like, reflection on science, nuclear power, global warming. That stuff was cool. And there was, like, an actual, like, oh, okay. Like, you know what? That's a pretty... Why pretty, does Godzilla like, exist? Yeah, yeah like, question. this is a pretty, uh, you know, pretty relevant take on this character. And mm. just, like, three movies later now, we're just... <laughs> We've hey, reached the boss battle. Big live action cartoon of them boss battling. Yeah. And it's, it just, it's lost all sense of gravitas or like, you know, message. And I also thought it looked way more cartoony. Like if you watch the, the original one, you see how slow and like, you know, powerful Godzilla is. And this one, he's like scrambling around. He has like, he's like, he literally has an evil laugh now. Or like, he makes yeah. all these facial expressions and snark. I thought it just like it just seemed so inconsistent with the way the story had already developed. That's that true. I would say that yeah, because the things it was like a weird live action cartoon. It felt, things it that felt were, more like a cartoon than an actual live action movie. I think I would say the things that were strong in the original and in the original Kong were that there was like this mythic legendary like allure to them where you didn't really see them that much until the end of the movie and it was like this looming threat all that's taken away in this movie because they're just both right out there in the open there it's a big fight i mean it's almost like it almost reminds me of when like the third hobbit movie that they just added on so they could have one big battle you know it's it's almost like is that really necessary probably not was it somewhat entertaining yes was it a good movie probably not but did it serve its purpose for what it was going for in the, in my case, or in my opinion, this one did, if I thought it, it mostly delivered on what we were hoping for. Um, so, so I gave it a six out of 10, but did you give it a grade? I gave it a C. They, they, it was very <clears throat> thanklessly written for a, a very good cast. I might say like all those actors in it are phenomenal. And I just wish there was a little more continuity with other characters that we've already met in this universe instead of starting over again. So, so, so uh, what happens now? Do Godzilla and King Kong team up to fight? I don't know. I was reading about it. Uh, they talked. They were talking about possibly making more movies if they were well received. Uh, but I did see the director. Um, he pointed out that uh, the MonsterVerse was created with this showdown in mind. And well, they kind of left it on a, a spot where, see, they did leave it open where Godzilla or Kong is in the hot shallower. So I suppose it's the door is open for some other crazy monster to be found in there and whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, the film, like it, it's, it says it's the most successful launch item in HBO Max's history. It is, ratings-wise. It and, it, and, and it shattered pandemic records at the theaters, too. So yeah, people were going to see this movie. Yeah, it's not really a high bar to hit, though. <laughs> Still, people are going to the movie to see this. So, did you ever see? Let me ask them real quick. Did you ever see the original 1962 film King Kong vs Godzilla? No, the only King Kong I've seen before these is the the uh, Peter Jackson one. Yeah. 
I saw I saw the 1962 film when I was a kid, and it was really. I there were definitely little moments that they paid tribute to in it, but yeah, it was just neither neither of these movies had much plot and story other than just hey force these things to duke it out and let's all just care about how epic and hilarious it is that they're fighting hmm. sounds like our awesome. podcast description ladies and gentlemen godzilla vs kong is just a movie where godzilla versus kong that's all this movie is <laughs> all right let's stop talking about it we got to get out of here we're pushing an hour here mike is there anything else you want to say it's good to talk to you again though uh, it's good to talk to you too, listeners. Thanks for putting up with us. Uh, we hope to some at some point review the crown. <laughs> it's gonna someday, happen. someday in 2027, uh, we will review the crown. We'll do WandaVision, yeah. uh, Captain and the Winter Falcon. Soldier, yeah, Falcon yeah. and the Winter Soldier. So we'll get to all that. Uh, and also, I'm gonna release my Oscar picks on a separate short episode. Probably do that midweek sometime because. I think the Oscars of next week need to improve on last year. Uh, I got a few movies I got to see. And also I'm going to post my rankings from the year 2020 on the Facebook yeah. page soon. So look out for that. Uh, yeah, but, I'm happy that Parasite won last year. But other than that, I, I really don't care about Oscars or gold. You, I mean, you know my thoughts on most artistic award ceremonies. Mike's thoughts is that all art is worthy of praise. I just uh, think it's very... Even, even movies about monkeys and reptiles. Uh, but anyways, that's going to do it for us here today. Appreciate everyone for listening. Again, please check out our Facebook page. Listen to our old episodes. Very much appreciate it. Hopefully you can get back in the theater at some point. But if not, check out some of those streaming options. Support our creators because we love them. And we love talking about the movies they have. So for uh, Mike Dick. Mike, Mike Nichols, <laughs> Brandon Champion. <laughs> Dean is not here. But until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>